What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. Sorry for no podcast on Wednesday. Life has just been crazy in both a good way and also in a busy way. I had just a lot of work stuff on my plate. So coming back today, going to be a shorter pod, no intro here, just going to get straight into it. I'm going to give you my thoughts on the NBA in-season tournament, and then from there, I'm going to give you my five picks for the NFL games this Sunday. Should be good. Hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Let's start with the NBA in-season tournament. The Pacers played the Bucks. Pacers won that game 128-119 to last night. Uh, Halliburton, 27 points, 15 assists, 7 rebounds. Giannis goes for 37 points and 10 rebounds. Pelicans played the Lakers at way too late at night. Lakers dominated that game. I was very thankful. I was able to go to bed at halftime. It was nice. LeBron, 30 points, 8 assists, 5 rebounds. Lakers, they had 6 guys and double figures. And then Zion had a stinker. And a lot of what has been talked about has been the Pacers being able to play on national TV, being one of the more fun teams in the NBA to watch, a team that was only scheduled for one nationally televised game this year, and all of a sudden, they're going to have three because of this NBA in-season tournament. It's, it's a great benefit of the NBA in-season tournament, and I think people, if you get on Twitter, you see people pulling for, we have to get the Pacers on national TV more because this is a fun team to watch. People are really gravitating towards Halliburton and everything that he brings to the table. And I think it's just a great opportunity to talk about how there is a good side and a bad side to nationally televised basketball games. And the good side is something we're seeing right now, especially with Tyrese Halliburton. You show up, you ball out against Giannis, because the only time you're on national TV is when you're playing against other good teams. So you ball out against Giannis and the Bucks, a team that people think is good enough to win the NBA Finals. And then after the game, when you get on Twitter, when you tune into your favorite podcasts like Shooting with Schmidt or your favorite radio show the next day, People are singing their praises, okay? Like, everything that I've listened to today, I've been up since, like, 3.30, so I've listened to a pretty decent amount of things here. It's been all about Halliburton and how great he's been and how he went for, you know, 27 points and 15 assists and 7 rebounds and how he hasn't turned the ball over in a decade and all that kind of stuff and how he's the new modern-day Steve Nash and just all of these different things. And when your team wins, your performance gets expounded upon. People talk about it more. They talk about you in a greater light, not only because you played well, but also because your team won. And I quickly want to get into Halliburton before I continue on this national TV, the pros and cons of it. Look, he's taking a major leap, okay? He's locked in on both ends of the floor, and he's not a great defender, okay? I've been living in Indianapolis for the past two years. I've watched a lot of Halliburton, okay? And after everything people have seen in these last two games, I think it's very easy to see what he is on the offensive end of the floor. An elite shooter, shooting like 45% from three this year. He finishes around the rim well. He can go by guys. He's an elite passer. I mean, he's just, he's awesome. But defensively, he hasn't been a good defender. But when you're tall and you're long and you care, which it's so obvious that he does, talking trash to Bobby Portis doing the Dame time in front of the Bucks bench, I mean, after hitting the dagger, it was great. When you're that tall and you're that long and you're that athletic and you care and you're smart, you can have an impact on the defensive end. And it's been so fun just to watch him really attack that side of the basketball the way that he has through this in-season tournament, and especially against the Celtics when he got switched on to Jason Tatum a lot. He competed. It was great to watch. Did he, you know, 
get made to look dumb a couple times? Yes, because he's not a good defender, but he made life hard on Jason Tatum. Okay, when he was guarding Damian Lillard last night, or Malik Beasley, because, you know, they were trying to keep him on Beasley, so he didn't have to guard Damian. That was Bruce Brown's job. I mean, he was competing, and he was working hard, and that's the thing in the NBA that I wish more guys just understood. We're going to get to a guy who I wish understood that here, here in a minute. But all these guys are freakishly athletic, and you can't guard any of these dudes because they're all just so skilled. But if you care, you are a world-class athlete. You can make some sort of impact on the defensive end, and it has been so much fun to watch Halliburton do that over these past few games. Now, as I was saying, I believe on the offensive end, he's the second-best offensive player in the NBA. I think there's only one guy, and that is Nikola Jokic, the best player on the planet who controls a game better than Halliburton. Both of these guys, Jokic and Halliburton, they are more than capable of scoring 30 points whenever they want. Okay, but they are such willing passers, and that's why both of these teams, the Nuggets and the Pacers, Pacers still sitting at number one in offensive rating on the season, that's why they're both so great offensively. When we look at other teams with ball-dominant guards, like if you're playing with James Harden or if you're playing with Luka Doncic, if you're a role player... If you watch, those guys, they don't cut as hard as the players that play with Halliburton and Jokic. What's the difference? When you play with Luka or Harden or any other ball-pounding guard, if you cut, you don't know if you're going to get the ball or not. But when you're playing with Halliburton or Jokic and you cut, you have faith that they are going to find you. Not only are they going to find you, but it's going to lead to you scoring the basketball. So, players are more willing to cut. Players are more willing to run the floor. On, when playing with guys like Halliburton and Jokic, than they are when they're playing with other guards who just want to dribble the basketball a whole bunch. And the Pacers, they have an absolute star, and it's just been so much fun to kind of watch him blossom in front of everybody. And this is the good side of national TV games. Like, even if the Pacers hadn't won, right? Even if Halliburton had gone for, you know, 27, 15, and 7 like he did, and they'd lost, people wouldn't be upset. People would be like, you know what? They lost. It's okay. They're playing the Bucks. Like, we aren't mad. Like, I think we can see the same thing with Giannis. Like, the Bucks, they didn't win, but Giannis went for 37-10. and 10. People walk away from the game. They're like, you know, Giannis, he competed. He played defense. He scored 37 points. He scored 10 rebounds. Damian Lillard, he just didn't show up. You know, not his fault. He played well. But there is a bad side to national TV. And we saw it last night with Zion Williamson. In 26 minutes, he took eight shots. That's something role players do. Not former number one overall picks who were given max money in the offseason. They don't do that. He looked fat. He looked out of shape. And it looks like he should be playing defensive tackle for the New Orleans Saints. That's what it looked like. LeBron James did not guard him on the perimeter. Zion had the ball at the three-point line, and LeBron would stand in the paint. Didn't care. Said, I dare you to shoot the basketball. That is the ultimate sign of disrespect as a basketball player. Okay, as someone who enjoys playing pickup, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a great pickup player. But look, like if you give if you're gonna, if I got the ball through point line and you are guarding me, I'm going to shoot the basketball. He's an NBA basketball player. Zion Williamson should be able to make that shot. And I think the most frustrating thing is coming out of Duke, people were really excited. You know, it's like this dude's going to be awesome and Thinking back on the moment where the lottery happens, right? And they've got the camera on all the guys, on all the going-to-be rookies in the building, all the guys who are going to get drafted. 
And they've got the camera on Zion because everybody knows, like, this guy, he is the number one overall pick, no matter what happens. And the Knicks, that's where he wanted to go. He was really excited about the opportunity to go to the Big Apple and to play basketball for the Knicks. And, you know, the balls bounce the wrong way. And the Pelicans come out with the number one overall pick. And it felt like from that moment on, he did not care. He walked out of the building clearly upset. And I think the hardest thing for the Pelicans is they've spent all this money on a player that doesn't care. I remember there were murmurs in the offseason that the Pelicans were looking to move him, but nobody wanted him because he doesn't care. He's out of shape and he weighs 300 pounds. And the crazy thing is, even though he weighs 300 pounds, he's still lightning quick. He still has good bounce. He's still explosive, not as explosive as he was. I think if he lost 30, 40 pounds, he would get that back. But, I mean, it's just it's really disappointing. And, yeah, because this is a guy who everyone thought was going to be a generational talent. And he is that. He just doesn't care. And it's really, really hard to watch. Meanwhile, you got LeBron James on the other side, who's just like, you know what, I'm just going to control this basketball game for the next 30 minutes. And there's nothing you can do about it. Um, I'm going to pick you apart with the passing. As I said, eight assists. I'm going to get to the rim. I'm going to hit big threes. I mean, like the one he hit with 10 minutes left to go in the second quarter, and he's dancing back. I mean, they knew going into that game how much better they were than the Pelicans, and it showed. I think, you know, Zion was the first guy in LeBron's time in the league that people legitimately thought, could overtake LeBron as as the face of the NBA. And I think LeBron really wants to beat Zion every time he plays him. I, I don't think he just wants to beat him. I think he wants to embarrass him. I think LeBron James sees it as an insult. He sees this fat, overweight dude who can't shoot the basketball as someone that people, the media, as a whole thought at a time could overtake LeBron and be the best player in the world. And I think that's an insult to him. And I think that's part of why he came out and played the way that he did last night. I think that he just wanted to make the statement of, y'all thought this dude could be better than me? Please, I'm 38 years old. He's like 23, 24, and I'm cooking him, and I'm going to disrespect his jump shot. And when I make a three, I'm going to dance back down the floor, and I'm going to put the three fingers on my my forearm or whatever. And I'm going to make sure everybody knows that I am toying with this man. And it was really impressive. It was fun to watch. He got his teammates involved. As I said earlier, six Lakers finishing double digits. Austin Reeves, 17 points off the bench. They looked really good. I'm really excited to watch the championship of the NBA Cup on uh, that Saturday night. It's going to be a great game. It's going to be so, so good. Because we have these two contrasting styles where the Pacers... Like, they put the pace in Pacers. Not only are they the, the number one offensive rated team in the NBA, they also play at the fastest pace. They are up and down. If you watch the game, you know they had the, the timer. Like, made shot by the Bucks. Halliburton gets it. The ball is up the floor in like one and a half seconds. Okay, it is fast, lightning, paced. Meanwhile, the Lakers want to play slow. Like, they played a little bit faster than they normally do last night against the Pelicans. But at the same time, like... It was nowhere near as fast as the Pacers want to go. And it's going to be so fun to watch these two contrasting styles. The Lakers are bigger. They're going to look to wear down and kind of wear on the Pacers. Meanwhile, the Pacers are a little bit smaller. Going to get up and down the floor. Going to be a lot of fun to watch. Going to be really interesting to see the chess match between LeBron and Halliburton. These are two of the smartest guys in the NBA. 
just kind of seeing how these two guys kind of square off against each other. It's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait. I'm going to take the Pacers to win. They just seem like they really want this. Um, which then again, so the Lakers, obviously. But I like the pace. I think their pace ends up winning out. Not because, or simply because they aren't reliant on turnovers to run at their pace. They are reliant on just getting the ball in bounds and going. And I also don't think that they have anyone who can really guard Halliburton. Then again, you know, he said, well, Jonathan, the Pacers don't have anyone who can guard LeBron. They've got more bodies, though. They can at least kind of pester LeBron. Um, but with Halliburton, I don't think they have anyone who can really match up. So I'm going to say the Pacers, Halliburton has another big night. Buddy Heald finally gets going. He hasn't been shooting the ball well here recently. I think he finally has a big night, and it's it's going to be a good game. I also think that Pacers, they're a little bit deeper. You know, TJ McConnell, when he came in in the, in the first half of that game against the Bucks, he swung it. I mean, just big, big minutes from him off the bench. Allowed the Pacers to rest Halliburton, so he had a full tank at the end of the game. Um, yeah, so I, I like the Pacers bench a little bit more. I think their pace ends up winning out. And, yeah, uh, the Pacers are going to be the first team to win, or they're going to win the inaugural NBA in-season tournament, and they're going to lift the NBA Cup at the end of the year. Really quickly, let me give you my, my NFL picks for Sunday slash Monday because I am betting Monday Night Football this week. Bengals-Colts. Bengals favored by one and a half. I like the Colts plus one and a half. I, I think they went out right. Um, I think people are overreacting to the Jake Browning performance, right, where he goes 28-32 and they beat the Jags. I think people are just they're overreacting to this. Uh, Gardner Minshew just as good, if not better, than Browning. Um, I think there's going to be a decent amount of points scored in this game, but ultimately... Look, the Colts have been, excuse me, way more consistent with Minshew this year than we've seen from Browning and the Bengals. So I'm going to take the Colts. They went out right. So Colts win 28-23. Uh, Texans-Jets. Texans favored by 3.5. I like the Texans minus 3.5. When, when you're playing a team that has a quarterback that reportedly doesn't want to play, I'm I'm going to take you, okay? All the controversy with Zach Wilson apparently not wanting to play, like that's a major, major red flag. I know this Jets defense is good, but at some point they're going to give up. They're going to be like, you know what? Aaron Rodgers, he's not coming back to save us. We're not going to make the playoffs. Whatever. Meanwhile, the Texans fighting for a playoff spot, fighting to win their division now with Trevor Lawrence going down. I like the Texans, minus 3.5. I think they win that game pretty easily. Uh, They win, you know, like, let's go 27-17. Texans win that one. Bills-Chiefs. This is my least favorite bet of the week. I'm going to take the Chiefs, minus 1.5. Look, the Chiefs don't lose back-to-back games. I know the Bills are coming off a bye. But, look, I I have no faith, no confidence that Josh Allen is going to be able to hold onto the ball long enough. Or, or, let me back up. Josh Allen's going to turn the ball over a couple times, and that is why this Chiefs team is going to win. The Chiefs are a more complete team. They just, they are. Give me the Chiefs. They're still fighting for that number one overall seed. They know that they have to win this week in order for that to happen. Meanwhile, the Bills fighting for their playoff lives. Give me the Chiefs. Chiefs cover minus one and a half. They win 31-27. Last game, Eagles-Cowboys. Cowboys are favored by three and a half. Give me the Eagles plus three and a half. I don't know if they win, but this is a divisional game in a dome in Dallas. I simply have too much confidence 
in Jalen Hurts and this Eagles team to bet against them, especially with the Cowboys, who I have no confidence in whatsoever, and I won't until they win a divisional playoff game. Simple as that. So, Eagles-Cowboys, give me the Eagles plus three and a half. It's just they have a winning pedigree, and the Cowboys don't. And in big games like this one, because the Cowboys, like they're fighting to win the division and potentially have that number one overall seed, Eagles still fighting to keep that number one overall seed and to not lose back-to-back games. Like, give me the Eagles. This is a big game. I trust Jalen Hurts in big games more than I do Dak Prescott. So, Eagles plus three and a half. That's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. Shorter pod today. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, like I said, just got a lot of work stuff going on. I, I got to get back to it. So, thank you again for listening, and I'll talk to you guys again on Monday. <laughs>